welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigich. I'm Ray Vandewater. And I'm Mike Vizdos. And today we're going to be talking about the question of, are defects part of your velocity? Uh, so, let's say that I'm on a Scrum team, and we're moving along, and we're producing software, and everything's going well, and then we get a defect, and then we get a couple defects. Now we've got a few defects. Um, do we estimate those? Do they you know, get put in the backlog? You know, how do I get how do I get credit for them for working on them uh, as a developer? You know, how does that work? So, do they come up inside of a sprint, or from existing legacy stuff out there? Okay, so let's tackle two of those separately. So, let's say that uh, I'm working on the sprint, and um, you know, someone on the team notices, "Hey, this new feature we added it breaks this thing we did three sprints ago." Uh, but it's you know, middle of the sprint. Um, does that count as a defect? So I I don't know if that counts as a defect. That almost feels like a filled constraint. Like I know it's not uh, oftentimes not explicit, and perhaps it should be. But I feel a constraint of every story that goes in is it shouldn't break existing features, like, at least not intentionally, right? So the time that I spend fixing that, um, how does does that count towards the story that I was working on when I broke it, or how does that work? I mean, I guess. I wouldn't really be tracking hours, but it would be the um, it would be the as part of I guess the story points of the story I was currently working on. So if I'm working on a five, and I have a five and a let's say a three pulled into the week, and I only committed to eight, right? But now that five caused something else to break, so I spend all the time I would have spent on that three working on the fixing what I broke in the five, then the three doesn't get done. Does, does that okay. answer your question? Yeah, sure. Um, let's go the other way. Let's say that um, I'm working on something in the sprint and say the you know QA tester process or something you know some regression team they find that there's a bug that happened uh, two sprints ago and now they log it as a defect in our bug tracking system how do we handle that one put it in the product backlog okay so let's say we put it in the product backlog and uh, the product owner for the next uh, sprint puts it at the top of the list and we start working on it um, but for the last three iterations, our velocity was a 20, and this defect is really, really hard, and it's going to take like all of our time. So we're not going to get 20 points, but I'm going to be working on stuff that whole time. So like, do I put an estimate on it so that I still get credit for some work, or is it a zero, or how's, what do I do? Your velocity is going to decrease, and you know what? You just got to decrease that technical debt. So I kind of struggled with this before when I was uh, thinking about it and I, I came to the same conclusion after talking with Derek and uh, and Clayton that uh, Mike just brought up but when I was first thinking about it I noticed that I was getting defects back from a product owner and that I was getting really defensive and argumentative about um, whether or not we want to classify what came back as a new feature or as a defect right something that broke something that already uh, was existing and I was trying to think about it, and I couldn't really figure out why I was, um, like, why I cared. And then I, I realized that when something was a defect, it was an accusation that the developer did something wrong. Whereas if it's a feature that was unplanned, it's an accusation that the product owner did something wrong, which is why we were arguing, because he was getting defensive when I said, no, that's a feature, and it was never intended to work that way, because that means he did something wrong in the past. And I was getting argumentative by, no, that's not a defect, because if it's a defect, it means I screwed up. And so I was trying to think, like, I, I noticed that I was doing that, but I bet a lot of people do that and don't notice that they're getting defensive. And I was wondering if there was even value to, or to distinguishing between a defect and distinguishing between a um, feature at all and just track everything in the sprint 
and then like uh, and put estimates on it, and then you would see the uh, the the features come in, and it would get added to your velocity. And it wasn't a matter of trying to get credit for the defects. I somehow I thought that it would make things more predictable because then you're including the defects in. Um, in in your scope of work now, so now you're able to say like, okay, including these defects, like I'm pulling this much speed. But then the part that I hadn't taken into account was that your scope also increases, which makes it really difficult to see how much work you're going to be able to get done because now your scope is a ever changing target, and you don't really know how much work you're going to get done. Right? Like a a, a series of like 20 points is going to take me 30 points to get done because there might be 10 points worth of defects somewhere in there, and that just totally screws everything up. So how do you avoid that? by not assigning points to defects. Okay, and being very clear on the definition of done. Because the definition of done maybe to a developer is code complete, you know, from you know, Steve McConnell. Yep, it's code complete when it doesn't actually do anything. Sure. Yes, and so, you know, Mike, you had mentioned the idea that you would take the hit on the velocity. Um, I guess, what are the implications of doing that? And you know, why wouldn't you want to try and estimate them? Like, or what were the downfalls of trying to estimate a, a defect and put it in the backlog and treat it like a feature? If you've got a lot of technical debt, maybe just create a technical debt story and make it really, really explicit to the product owner that you're going to actually have to reduce this and put business reasons about why you're actually doing all this technical blah, blah in the background. Hmm. So, so making it really explicit and transparent that you have a system that has a lot of technical debt, and that there is a real, you know, uh, impact on the release of the software or whatever it is uh, that is going to be, you know, potentially pushed out by having to actually do this work. You know, it has to get done sometime, right? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but does that technical debt story then get an estimate, and does that count as part of your velocity? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> the, the important part really is getting it transparent and making sure that, that the product owner understands the business implications of pushing out crap. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so let's say that um, let's say that we decide on, you know, everyone's under, understood that there is a technical debt and it needs to get dealt with. Um, but let's say that we start tackling that, uh, but the defects keep rolling in. Um, how do you, you know, if, the, if we're not going to estimate the defects... Um, and they're, you know, maybe they, let's say they just go in the product backlog and they get prioritized like the rest of everything. Um, how do we take a step back and look at like the bigger picture and realize what the impact of all of those defects, even the ones that maybe we don't know about, you know, how do we look at all that stuff together? How do we keep the transparency up? I'd take some time in a retrospective to look at that and figure out how can we clear up the definition of done so we're not introducing those defects. So whether it's you know better um, test coverage or more continuous integration, but being very clear on that definition of done, so that it's not just code complete and putting in stuff with a lot of defects. Yeah, and Roy, you had mentioned the difference between um, maybe sometimes there's a a user story that gets worked on, and at the end of the sprint, or maybe when the product owner reviews it, they realize you know when we were talking about that in planning, I I described it this way, but now that I think about it more. I really think it should do something else. And some people might have the tendency to call that a defect, to say, well, we didn't really clarify that in planning, and it really should have done that. Or maybe they thought that they clarified it, but they really didn't. Um, does that go back to the definition of done as well? So I think a a, a product owner that's really aware of what he's doing, and I think the developer should probably call him out on it if he's not paying attention to it. When During the planning meeting at the beginning of the iteration, they negotiated... Um, 
exactly what it meant for this product to get done and maybe whiteboarded it out or wrote up acceptance criteria or uh, whatever the term for those now is, right? And if he gets to the end of the sprint and then says, never mind, everything I said on Monday was wrong, that's going to kill a huge amount of trust with the team because then the team feels like they're getting punished and in terms of their velocity and in terms of all the work that they did um, for the, the product owners changing their mind. And then when they're in the next planning meeting, they're going to have difficulty trying to get the uh, product owner to um, to trust the product, what the product owner is saying and actually build it the way that he wants. I think ideally what you do is consider the story complete and put in a new story as like, I guess you call it a change request, but it'd be a new story that describes the new way that he wants it to, to work. And then that will get entered into the backlog and potentially push out you know, something else before the release. And it's also going to smoke out bad product owners. Right, because if you were to, um, you know, I guess the, the nice thing or the flexibility that you get with doing an iterative approach is that you could, at the end of the iteration, you know, the, before the beginning of the next one, you could decide to throw everything away, you know, if things changed. So on one hand, it's a, you know, great kind of tool and it gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, on the other hand, if you find yourself doing that a lot and, you know, nothing ever seems to be progressing, that would kind of be smoking out the, the bad product owners, right? And I would hope that something like that comes up during the demos and the retrospectives, like the demos when they're assigning it, when they're showing it to everybody uh, at, at the company. I'm hoping somebody is going to stand up and say, hey, isn't this the exact same thing you demoed yesterday, just a slightly different, inter- or last iteration, just a slightly different uh, interface or whatever you know hmm. but and it's probably going to be the person actually writing the check to whoever's doing this development work <laughs> right uh so let's say that uh kind of moving on so the team's gotten a little bit better and now they're you know we've got defects and they're well defined what a defect is and what it isn't and they're in the product backlog um what do you guys think about the team taking the approach of kind of a zero defect mentality where uh, anytime a new defect comes up they stop what they're doing and they uh, try and fix it immediately, kind of as a matter of technical excellence. So I like it in in theory, and I think of a team that really has a culture of excellence and they decide to do it themselves, not something that's forced, forced down. I think it could work. I think it gets very difficult when you don't have that culture straight from the beginning, where you have a lot of defects existing in the system where you're maintaining a bunch of software, especially software that you didn't originally write, right? Because then you get a bunch of defects come in and then it really sucks because now you're missing your your uh, commitments and it feels like it's outside of your control because you know you have the excuse of, well, I didn't write this code. And so I think then it gets very, it can get very frustrating for the team. Would it be easier if you had, if you spent some time and you burned down all the defects to begin with and you started with zero defects, you know, kind of a known state and then going forward, the team tried to implement that mentality. I don't think you could ever do that. Yeah, would you even be at zero defects? Or would you just be at zero known defects? Known defects, yeah. Yeah, zero known defects. Okay. I mean... <laughs> it's a really a trade-off that you have to have. Is is it worth doing with the product owner? You know, is it worth that cost? Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of this stuff, um, what we've been talking about, comes back to the idea of you know, increasing the transparency of what the impact of the technical debt or you know just the sloppy code or whatever it is has on the, the product itself. And then also the kind of trade-offs of, you know, do we really want to spend that time? You know, you could spend a lot of time fixing all the defects. Um, even, yeah, I suppose you could even go do a bunch of exploratory testing and try and find new ones on your own. Uh, you could spend a lot of time like that. But the impact or the trade-off is that you don't ship things, you know, as soon as you would like or things like that. Or as many features. Right, right. And the goal is, is still to ship something potentially shippable at the end of each iteration. 
Mm. So does that kind of fly in the face of like having a hardening sprint then? You know, if at the end of the sprint, uh, all you did, or at the sprint, all you did was, you know, fix defects and move some code around. What's a hardening sprint? Uh, so let's say that we think our software is uh, really unstable, and so we need we know we have to do a lot of refactoring. So we're going to spend the entire duration just working on known defects, and um, the developers get to decide what stuff they think is important to shift around. That sounds dangerous. Having the developers decide what what defects are most important to the customers. Yeah, but you know, the, uh, we I'll put my developer hat on. We spend uh, the rest of the time uh, just doing what you tell us to do, and so now it's our time to, you know, we've been meaning to refactor this forever, but we never have time for it. So I, we want to do it now. So uh, my Scrum Master hat goes on and says, "You guys got to tighten up that <laughs> definition of done and get your your coding standards and whatever up to speed." Okay. Hmm. It does feel kind of like a small if the team is saying we we always do exactly what you tell us to do, right? That doesn't really sound like oh, a organizing team very much. Yeah, that's yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. So I guess yeah, transparency of what the impact of the kind of the technical excellence or what the team's doing, um, you know, improving your definition of done would go a long way, um, and then probably defining defects, uh, what what is and what isn't a defect. Mm-hmm. I think if you can do all that stuff, it sounds like you can um, get those defects in the backlog, and everyone has a good understanding of what the impact is. And as long as the product owner understands the risk, hmm. it's a good discussion to have. Okay. I think that's a good uh, point to close on. So thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integrumtech.com slash podcast, where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.